As parents, we are all juggling busy households. Sometimes life gets a little messy, and that's why I love Home Threads, the perfect blend of comfort and style for your lively household. Home Threads has everything you need to make your house a little more peaceful in our chaotic world. At HomeThreads.com, find furniture that's resilient as your family. From pieces that stand the test of time to kid-friendly organizing and storage solutions, we've got the essentials to turn your mess into a masterpiece, all at the best value. I have received some pots and pans, some pillows, and a beautiful lamp, and I can say I truly love the value, and they just look great in my home, and I enjoy them so much. So thank you, Home Threads. Head on over to HomeThreads.com forward slash mess and get a code for 15% off your first order today. Because life's messy, but your home doesn't have to be. Home Threads, where style meets the everyday mess. Home Threads, love where you live. Christian Parenting. This is Cynthia Yanoff, and you're listening to Pardon the Mess. Each week, we have honest discussions about the ups and downs of parenting and the lessons God is teaching us along the way. It's real, it's fun, and it's biblical. Life is messy. Don't walk the parenting road alone. Hey guys, welcome to Pardon Us. I'm glad that you're with us today. Before we kick off our talk with Sean McDowell, I want to tell you a little story of something that happened to me recently. Let's just all keep it real in parenting. That's why it's called Pardon the Mess. I was driving with my five-year-old in the car last week and someone called to ask me some parenting advice. And so the question they asked, believe it or not, I actually felt like I had a decent answer and I was really going to town, giving my very best advice. I mean, I even pulled out some scripture. I was really making it happen in the car. And in the back seat, my five-year-old is like trying to get my attention to wave me down and everything else. And he keeps interrupting me and I'm doing that kind of snap and be quiet, you know, motion, giving him the stink eye in the rear view mirror. Like, be quiet. You can be quiet for a minute. I'm talking to someone. And finally, I realized he's trying to tell me something. He's kind of slightly making that international choking sign, you know, where you put your hand like towards your neck. So I stop for just a minute and my friend, I say, hey, hang on one minute. And turns out my five-year-old had swallowed a marble in the car. I'm like, really? Are we serious here? So I I tell my friend, I'll have to call you back. Uh, This is the end of my parenting advice at the moment. Um, What's even funnier about the marble he swallowed was that I have been working on some obedience issues with this particular child all summer. And one of my friends said, you need to start a marble jar. Happy marbles, sad marbles. And when, you know, he does certain things a certain way, give him happy marbles. When he doesn't, then we have sad marbles. And so apparently he had taken a marble from our marble jar and swallowed it. That tells you how well the disciplining went in my house. So if anyone's having a, my child swallowed a marble while I was trying to give parenting advice kind of weak, I'm with you. I understand. And this too shall pass. So that's what's going on over here. I'm glad you're with us today. And we have Sean McDowell with us. And I love Sean McDowell. I love his dad, Josh McDowell. Some of the very finest, the very brightest apologists of our generation. And if you miss Josh McDowell being on the podcast, go back to December of last year, December 2020, and be sure and listen to him. He's so great and gracious and kind. And today I'm just thrilled that I get to talk to Sean. Sean has a new book out called 
Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. And he chats with us today about all that our kids will be facing in today's sexualized culture. Questions we need to be asking, things we need to be looking for, ways we can listen, ways we point back to scripture. And as a dad of teenagers, he knows exactly what we're going through. And so he comes from a perspective we can all relate to. He also talks to us about faith questions our kids will face in today's culture. And as an apologist, how we can answer that on a level our kids can understand, but also staying true to scripture. So I'm thrilled to have him here today. He will give us lots of resources. I will link in podcast notes, but the book is called Chasing Love by Sean Mc. Dow. Here we go. Hey, Sean McDowell, welcome to Pardon the Mess. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here. You're in California, right? I am in Southern California. Yes. Oh, must be lovely. Tell us a little bit about you. So I've been married to my high school sweetheart for 21 years, come to think of it. And we have three kids, a son who's a senior, 17, a daughter who's going to be a freshman. She's 14 and an eight-year-old who's going into third grade. Okay. So you got a big, a big span in there. Like I do of kids, big range. We do, you know, there's a big story behind it. I won't bore you with it, but it keeps life interesting. Let's just keep, keep it at that. <laughs> <laughs> your dad is obviously Josh McDowell. You're your own person in your own right. We adore Josh McDowell and all he's done. Um, mm-hmm. And just one of the kindest people I think I've ever spoken to. And so mm-hmm. I've, I've thought it was like such a gift to have him on. And now I'm just so thrilled to have you on too. And so, and I think your dad's in my area, in the Dallas area, so um, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. I, I hear that somewhat frequently because my dad's had such a big impact, but I'm telling you, Cynthia, every single time it's meaningful. My dad is my hero, love him to death. And uh, his offices are in Dallas, but he actually lives 10 minutes away from me <laughs> in SoCal, not far from the beach. So he is pretty smart in that regard, too. <laughs> well, I was going to say, why would one live in Dallas if we have the option of California? Okay, well, that's amazing. Well, I'm glad that you're here because I saw your book that came out, Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. And I was like, um, yes, yes, and yes, across the board for all of us that are parenting kids right now. And sometimes, you know, like you do a lot of of the same things I do. I know you, I know that you teach, but that you also talk to a lot of people. Sometimes when you talk to people, you have that moment of like, I don't even know what to ask you because there's so much in this sure. topic. And I feel like that's kind of where I am when it comes to sexuality with our kids speaking through into this and through it with our kids. And so I'm going to kind of just let you run with it, but I guess I'll start with this. And that is as a person who speaks into youth and as a strong believer and someone who's even written a book in this area of sexuality, what's the top question? What's the main question you're getting from youth, from parents related to our kids and sexuality in today's culture? If, if I open it up for questions when I interact with students, probably in the top four or five on any issue that will come up will be related to the larger LGBTQ conversation. And that's because students are trying to figure out how to navigate being faithful to scripture, loving their neighbors, but not being bigots, hateful, and homophobic. So in my generation, I'm Gen X. That was more of a theoretical issue. There were hints about certain classmates that might be gay, but it wasn't in our face in every song, every Netflix, just everywhere within culture. So I found that this generation is really torn on what it means to be the friend that Jesus wants them to be, but be faithful to scripture. So that's why I deal with it in the end of the book. I'll deal with things like sex abuse, pornography, 
cohabitation, the LGBTQ conversation. These are really thorny, difficult, sensitive topics, but I lay a ton of groundwork leading up to that. What is God's design for sex? What is the purpose of gender? And then when you lay that out first and God's heart behind it, those tougher issues make a little bit more sense for students. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that Christian kids still follow by and large biblical principles? They believe that the Bible is true and accurate and right on these subjects, or are you finding that our Christian kids are falling away from that and maybe even thinking the Bible's irrelevant or extinct when it comes to those particular issues? So I had a chance to interview a, a girl who works with a crew by the name of Rachel Gilson, and she's married, still has same-sex attraction, but she's married to a man and follows the historic biblical view of sex and relationships. And the reason I mention this is because she said something that stuck with me. She said, I think most of our kids, even in Christian homes, are softly affirming in their theology. In other words, they know what the Bible says, but they really don't know why. Mm -hmm. And so they have no context for making sense of when the Bible says marriage is between one man and one woman. They don't have any understanding of why God designed it that way. So their minds tell them one thing, but their heart tells them something else. So it's the exception for me, Cynthia, to find a young person who says, you know what? Here's what the Bible says about marriage. Here's why. And I understand it and have the conviction to live it out. Where do we start with our kids? And we need to start by just being willing to have the conversations. But then second of all, how do we teach them to walk that biblical line while also, you know, speaking truth? And so is there a way that you kind of encourage people in that? Yeah, you have a five-year-old and I have an eight-year-old. And my conversation yeah. is to start now. Yeah. Already my son hears things about sexuality. The other day he heard something about abortion, goes, Dad, what's abortion? So I start these conversations with my son early, number one, to build the relationship, number two, to make him comfortable talking with me about it, and number three, to just start framing his worldview and beliefs about these issues. So right now it even pops up in conversations sometimes where there's a I'm sorry, not just in conversation, in cartoons sometimes yeah, for this yeah. generation. So we'll be like, dad, what's that? I'll say, well, here's a view of marriage that's different what Jesus says. We love these people. They're made in God's image. But let's look at how this is similar to and different from what Jesus said about marriage. I'd say, son, do you think moms are different from dads? If so, why? And I just start having this conversation with him young because worldviews are formed early. That's step number one. Now, if you don't have a five or eight year old, they're like, my kid is in high school. I feel like it's too late. Well, it's never too late, but it looks different. My daughter with the manuscript to this book, she's 14 now, but about a year ago when before it came out, I said, I'll tell you what, if you read this whole thing and then uh, just tell me what you think over coffee for 60 to 90 minutes, I'll take you to get whatever pair of shoes you want <laughs> genius yes right she goes dad there's an outlet down the street i could get two for the price of one is that okay i said you can get three for the price of one for and sure she read the whole thing we went to local coffee shop somewhere between an hour and hour and a half and we just talked about god's design for sex boundaries and dating and the lgbtq topic so there's always ways to try mm -hmm. but we have to be intentional with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And I know like on the teenage side, I've heard this before, not necessarily from one of my kids, but in my house from, a, from other kids saying, you know, I don't really have a problem with the LGBTQ 
um, issues with their lifestyle because it's not really hurting anyone. So is it my business to get involved with it? And I think that's a hard discussion because, and I think you handle this well, because I heard what you said about one time being asked to speak on CNN and then unasked to speak on CNN because basically because you were so compassionate, just share with us a little bit of how we can speak that into our kids to that grace and that love. And it's not expected. Well, what I would do is if one of my kids said that to me, if they're not hurting anybody, what's the big deal? I would ask questions because Jesus told stories Mm -hmm. and he asked questions. I would say to my kids, I'd say, do you think that anything that we do that doesn't hurt somebody is necessarily okay? Is that the ethic that you want to live by? Yeah. So can you think of anything in which somebody doesn't get hurt or they're not aware that they got hurt? But you probably think that's wrong. Like somebody breaks into somebody's account looks at photos on their phone, the person never knows, but they were still wronged, right? So I'm not sure we want to decide right and wrong whether somebody gets hurt or not. Then I'd say, how do you know nobody gets hurt? How do you actually know that? Because that's a really bold statement. And I have a number of friends and people I've talked to who were raised with two moms and with two dads who loved them and who cared for them and who are wonderful individual parents but they were hurt by not having a mother in their life. They were hurt by not having a father in their life. And they were told that if they raised those hurts that they had, they were ungrateful to their two dads or their two moms. So I think there's a lot of people who would see this issue differently. So I just wanna ask a lot of questions and challenge the assumptions because what I found Cynthia is that so many of our kids have adopted certain assumptions about what right and wrong is, about the nature of relationships, about freedom, about identity, about love. And that's Mm -hmm. why I spend the entire first third of the book trying to strip away faulty views of what secular culture says about identity what scripture says, what our secular culture says about love, what scripture says, what our secular culture says about freedom, and what scripture says. We have to strip away some of these ideas because our kids in our best Christian schools, churches, and homeschools, I would argue, have adopted far more secular ideas on relationships than they have biblical ideas, and they don't, and we don't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you say recently how scary it is that our kids are coming out unprepared out of our homes, Christian homes, Christian schools, churches, unprepared for these questions that are going to bombard them. And how you mentioned, I thought this was so good that be almost more scared of the underlying subtle lives that we're being fed or that they're learning versus the big things. And it was interesting because like you, I think you mentioned when I heard you talk about this, like the Da Vinci code, we all knew what the, what was behind yeah. This is such an old reference, like aging us both. But I mean, everybody preached on it, had seminars on it and books are written on it. And everybody knew oh, bad news, but then they're, meanwhile, our kids are watching Disney or whatever, and they're being bombarded by these other subtle messages and how important it is to really be speaking into this. And so just share a little bit on that, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, let's even just go back to the garden. What was the nature of Satan's lies? He didn't say, hey, you know, Adam and Eve, God doesn't exist, right? You know that. Like, that would be blatantly like, wait wait a minute, that doesn't seem the case. I just talked with God. What he does do is he asks questions, and Satan subtly undermines their confidence in God's word. He twists it just slightly. I mean, the most effective persuasion, I took an entire class in college, I studied communications, and one of my favorite classes was actually on persuasion, 
And one of the things that I learned is that the most effective persuasion is very subtle. Mm. Sometimes when somebody doesn't even realize that they're being persuaded. So you hear a sermon and you know the job of the preacher is to persuade you to believe something. You go to a political rally, you know what they're trying to do, but the news is supposed to be neutral. Movies are supposed to be entertainment, but when the news is not neutral and entertainment carries ideas, then we're subtly being persuaded to certain ideas that we might not even realize. So these ideas about sexuality seeping through movies that are otherwise compelling, through songs that sound good, through all these different mediums are actually some of the most powerful, subtle persuasion. By the way, Satan doesn't appear with a pitchfork, you know, and red, you know, horns on his head. We're told in 2 Corinthians that even Satan appears as an angel of light. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And so lots to think about in there. And so when we talk about our kids and, and I know that you mentioned this, the book, you talk about this a lot, our kids and sexuality, you and I probably grew up in the purity culture. We probably grew up in a, in a different, um, well, your dad, I really think spoke into that during those years. And I'm, I'm curious, where do you fall on that now? What's the most, uh, you said, I think something to the, to the effect of like, there's timeless issues, but but handling them in a timely way that's current to what's Mm. going on now. And so how do we think about, and how do we speak about sexuality with our kids? That's relevant to where they are now still biblical, obviously, but where does this whole purity culture fall in with that? So in the book, chasing love, I don't talk about purity culture because I'm writing to teenagers who wouldn't even know what that is. Yeah. yeah. It it basically started in 1993 with true love weights and goes into like the 2010s. That's what's been dubbed purity culture. Now, my dad started Why Wait in the 80s into the early 90s before that purity culture even hit. So a lot of the critics of purity culture don't even have a decade reference going back. And there's some areas where I will differ with my father. And some of that is just different experience, a little bit slightly different theology, but also culture has shifted so radically from that time. Yeah. But overall, one of the biggest truths that my dad taught me, I'm so thankful for is that God's commands are not to steal our fun or control us, but to actually protect us, provide us, and set us free. The culture says it's the biblical view that leads to just sexual frustration and restricts you, and God wants to harm you, at least these passages do. And my dad always said to me, he goes, son, in Deuteronomy 10, when Moses gives these commandments to Israel, he says, love Lord God, your heart, your soul, mind, strength follow these commandments i'm giving you for your good psalms 19 david says he rejoices in the law of the lord my dad impressed upon me that god's commands are not to steal our fun but they're actually to set us free now it's a different kind of freedom that we see in the culture it's a freedom of contentment it's a freedom of security It's a freedom to know and be known to love and be loved in the way God designed us to. And that's the most rich and rewarding kind of freedom I think we can experience because that has is how God designed us to experience relationships. Now, purity culture, which kind of came after that, and this is a whole bunch of different books and ideas all meshed together. But one of the biggest criticisms I think is fair is that it kind of preached a sexual prosperity gospel without intending it to. It was basically 
the idea was if you just don't have sex now, God will reward you. And that was never really specifically defined, by the way. What sex you is, know? yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was never like, does oral sex count? What about heavy petting? These things were left out of the equation, which doesn't help young people. If you just don't do that now, God will reward you with a great marriage, awesome sex, and a lot of babies. Well, the problem is, not only is that non-biblical, but it doesn't work. No. There's a whole generation of people that come out and said, wait a minute, I did everything right, and now I'm divorced or I'm still single, or I'm struggling here. So I sent out, I actually just sent this out yesterday. I sent out a, a tweet that basically said, I don't remember the words. I said, the motivation to be sexually pure is not what we get out of it, but it's to be holy because God is holy. Hmm. That's the ultimate motivation, why we should follow and honor God's commandments, which again, are for our good. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you're saying right before that too, just about um, if our kids can trust the character of God and trust that he's for them and he wants what's best for them, it makes everything else. And your dad said this to me. I quote this all the time. I even give him credit. I want to take it for myself, but your dad said in that interview, I talked to, he said um, rules without relationship equals rebellion. Right. And that always sticks with me. I think just in our relationship with our kids and our relationship with God, but same thing, if our kids could truly appreciate why God's character and why it is that he wants these things for them and for all of us in our lives. I think that just changes the whole dynamic versus like you said, the kind of kill joy. And then, well, I, I met up to all these expectations. It didn't turn out how it was supposed to. I think it changes the narrative. Hey guys, I'm jumping in here to make sure that you've gotten a copy of the 2021-2022 school year prayer journal. It's called Joyful, Patient, and Faithful, and I wrote it so that we can pray over kids all school year long and be intentional as we're doing it. If you haven't gotten your copy, please do that because we are about to kick it off very soon. We're praying things for our kids like praying that they have peace and health and salvation. We're praying forgiveness over them, mentorship, impurity, all kinds of things. It will go all school year long. There's a if you like to journal where you can write down the things you're praying for your kids and then at the end of the school year show them how God has been faithful as we've prayed over them but it is a great way to be intentional and in praying for your kids this school year you can grab a copy at cpprayer.org again cpprayer.org I also want to make sure that you've been checking out Adventures in Odyssey Focus on the Family has been telling amazing stories through Adventures in Odyssey for decades every episode is packed full of meaningful lessons our kids love the colorful characters and parents love the important conversations that follow with each listen. Right now, they have a collection of episodes that center on the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is so critical out of Galatians 5, and often I think we read it and talk about them, but do we really understand and know them? And so it's a perfect thing to do during these car rides. They're well-loved episodes and great for teaching our children life-giving principles in an entertaining way. So get the Fruit of the Spirit album from the store on FocusOnTheFamily.com or at AdventuresInOdyssey.com. Again, focusonthefamily.com or adventuresinodyssey.com. When it comes just to um, sexuality, what do you think the biggest misconceptions our kids are facing or dealing with in today's culture? You know, there are so many misconceptions. I'd say there's two, probably two big ones. One is that sex is not a big deal. It doesn't really matter. This is really one of the lies that was pushed in the sexual revolution, 60s and 70s. I remember reading this 
one activist who's like, it's just a biological act, really no different than drinking a glass of water. Now, every time I hear that, I'm like, I don't know what water you're drinking. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little different. The, the idea is it's not sacred. It's not a procreative act. It's just biological. Well, we know that's false. The entire Me Too movement puts that to a lie. We know physical abuse is bad, but there's something about somebody who's been abused sexually that feels violated in the deepest, most intimate way that somebody has treated them and taken something from them they had no right to take. So we know there's something about sexuality. On the flip side, the other myth is that sex is everything, is that the key to a happy life is to have a fulfilled sex life. That's what we see in songs. That's what we hear in music. It's on Netflix. We even hear this pushed in the educational system in certain senses. Well, kids can't help themselves. They might as well start having sex now because sex is the key to a meaningful life. Well, spiritually, no, that's false because Jesus was single and he was the full image of God when it's never married. He was a sexual being that he was male, but he wasn't sexually active. And so Many of my single friends say, they go, look, Sean, I can live without sex, but I can't live without intimacy. And don't confuse those two. You can be sexually active without being intimate. And you can be intimate without being sexually active. So the two lies are that sex is not a big deal. It is a big deal. The other lie is that sex is the biggest deal, which is totally false. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay. And so, um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but being an apologist of sorts, your whole family, I think you kind of, you wrote (laughs) on it literally over and over and over the book. In fact, I was showing you the book I have on my desk. Um, the new evidence that demands a verdict. Apparently I don't even have the new evidence. You told me I need a newer one. So, but it's so good. (laughs) There's so much information out there. And I guess it's kind of the same question I've been asking you about sexuality, but what are some of the, the biggest, um, things our kids are going to face when it comes to their faith? What are the questions they're going to be asked? What do we need to be thinking ahead of for our kids and preparing them for? You know, it's interesting. When my dad first started speaking on college campuses in the 60s and 70s. And by the way, he's spoken on over 1,200 universities. As far as wow. we can tell, more than anybody alive, he's spoken to young people in person. Wow. Tens of millions. And he said, kind of when he started doing this in the 60s and 70s, there was an assumption that there's such a thing as truth and that we can know truth and facts matter. But you start to shift into the 90s and the 2000s. And now if you claim that something is true, you are bigoted and homophobic and hateful. It's almost like the key questions that people are asking are no longer just factually Mm truth-based. The claim that God doesn't exist. They're more about the goodness of God. God is not good because God is exclusive or because of the LGBTQ conversation. So I would argue that it's more the moral issues that are Mm -hmm. facing our young people than it is the factually based ones. Now, let me make a distinction. Then you say, why did we even update evidence to man's verdict? Because as you hinted at earlier, there's two types of issues we have to address with our kids. There's timeless issues. Is the Bible true? Did Jesus exist? Is Jesus God? Did he rise from the grave? Those are timeless issues. But then there's timely issues that depend upon where culture is at in that moment. And with our kids, we have to address both of those. We have to give them the confidence that, look, Jesus claimed to be God, 
look, there's historical evidence he rose from the grave. There's good evidence that God designed the world and the Bible's true. But let's talk about these contemporary moral issues that seem to be hot at the moment, like maybe race. How as Christians do we make sense of this? And issues of sexuality. So it's really timeless and timely issues we have to engage our students with. It almost feels like, tell me if I'm wrong, it almost feels like it would be easier to address it from the archaeological standpoint or, you know, to be able to go back and pinpoint the things that are maybe even in the older book that your dad has to be able to point to that than to try to speak in what can feel esoteric on those moral issues. And I'm just curious, like, where, where would you fall in that? Like, pick one of the top ones that someone's going to say on today's culture, like what you just said, the good and evil or a good God wouldn't let someone go to hell. Some of those I would assume are some of the ones that are popping up again. I mean, how do you respond to that when a lot of that, I feel like, I know there's concrete answers, biblically speaking, but if you're trying to not always rely on the Bible, where a lot of people don't want you to rely on the Bible, how, how do you sure. go about that and speak into that? Well, so methodologically, one of the things they do is I just listen a lot. Yeah. So if somebody says, you know, good God wouldn't do this, I'd say, tell me how you know that. How do you know a good God wouldn't do this? What do you think a good God should do and why? Like, I, I just want to, I spend, believe it or not, even though I'm an apologist, I spend a lot more time asking questions and listening just to try to make sure I'm answering the real question yeah. that somebody is asking. So I found under a lot of these moral issues, like again, you know, you take the issue of LGBTQ, we talked about underneath that is not just what is God's design for sex and marriage. At the heart of a lot of that is, do you love me? Do you accept me? Is God really good? And is there space for me? That's an emotional relational question. At the heart of a lot of hell is, wait a minute, if I come to believe in God, that means one of my parents who passed away is separated from God and likely not going to heaven. Can I believe in a God when it affects me personally so deeply? The problem of evil, that's a timeless and timely issue because it incarnates in a recent earthquake or a shooting or something like that. At the heart of that is really, can I trust that God is good? Why does God allow this pain? You know, when we hurt, sometimes we don't need an answer why. We need someone to love and listen and be there for us. So I try to be ready with an answer to these moral issues, why I think hell is difficult, but just, why I think the Christian worldview makes the best sense of evil, what I think God's design for sexuality is. But I ask a lot of questions and I listen because more often than not, there's a question behind the question that I want to get to. And so often it's emotional and it's relational. I want to address that along with addressing the intellectual question the person is asking. Yeah. Yeah. And so here, here, I'm wondering this, I was thinking about this yesterday. Did you ever have questions like big foundational questions in your faith, even growing up how you did, and now you're an apologist. Did you ever have that point where you went to college or at some point where you're like, I don't know if I, if I, if I believe what I say, I believe, did that ever happen to you? And if so, what, what was that step that kind of got you over the hump? Oh my goodness. Yes, I did. When I was, I, I think it was somewhere around my freshman, sophomore year in college, this is mid nineties. So this is the first time people are getting like email addresses and surfing the internet pre-Google. Yeah. And I don't remember how this came across, but I'm searching the internet one of the first times. Maybe I just searched my dad's name to see what would be on there. 
And I found that some of the early secular atheist web was built responding to my father's book chapter by chapter. Hmm. Evidence that demands verdict, doctors, historians. And I read this stuff and it was the first time that I really thought, wow, there are smart, thoughtful people who see the world differently and are raising objections I can't answer. Hmm. It was unsettling intellectually and it was unsettling emotionally. And I knew I had to tell my dad, I don't think I ever stopped believing, but it was that moment of like, well, what if I'm wrong? And I need to be honest with myself here. I can't be a, I can't live my life a fraud. You know, in college, you're trying to figure things out. And I went to my dad, we were in Breckenridge, Colorado. And uh, as best I remember, said something effective. We went out for coffee. I said, dad, I, I want to know what's true, but I'm not sure I'm con- fully convinced Christianity is true. And he goes, son, I think that's great. And I was like, <laughs> did are you hearing anything you know like yeah sometimes he's writing a talk in his head pretending he's listening i'm like dad listen and uh he goes i heard exactly what you said he said i raised you to seek truth uh no matter the cost you can't live on my convictions you know your mom and i will love you no matter what i think if you really seek after truth you'll continue to believe in jesus because jesus is the truth and he said only walk away from your faith not out of spite but walk away if you're convinced it's not true. Hmm. And that was just, I knew it in my head, but that was just a powerful moment for me. It was like, all right, I got to figure out what I believe and why and uh, live out my life with integrity. I can't just believe something because I've been told this my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's say as we're, as we're trying to wrap up, let's say that you happen to be sending a kid to college, very hypothetical, although it's me. And so I feel like every question relates back to that right now. I've been kind of laughing on this podcast saying nothing makes you question your parenting, like sending a kid to college. And then you're like, oh my gosh, have we covered it all? And so for someone like me that might be sending their first kid off to college or to wherever they're going next. Um, and then everyone who's not quite there yet, what would you say are the top two or three um, questions, faith questions that you need to make sure that you've hit with your kids, that you make sure you answer based on what today's culture is kind of selling to us. You know what, can I, can I address this a little differently than you're asking? Would that be okay? Here, here's my advice for kids who are going off and parents that are going off, uh, parents that are sending kids off to college. Yeah. One thing I say to students, and this is something I would encourage you to share with your son or daughter who's leaving. I'd say one of the first things to do before you get there is contact crew or navigators or Christian ministry on campus, shoot them an email, get on a Zoom ahead of time. So you already have somebody you're connected with when you get on campus that is going to reach out to you. That's number one. Second, find Christian professors on campus, assuming this is a non-Christian school, preferably in your department. And you can find it by searching around, asking around, like you can find these professors, but if it's not in your department, go to another department and go to their office hours and don't be a pest, but bug them to a degree. When they have office hours, go ask them questions, build a relationship that can be a person who can help you navigate college while you're there. Third thing, so a Christian ministry, a second professors, third, you have to find Christian friends. I'm not saying only have Christian friends. I've had some Christians join fraternities and sororities who have a solid faith and do well there. Some don't, but some do. It really yeah. depends on the yeah. kid. So have non-Christian friends, but find 
good Christian friends and lock arms with them. Yeah. Almost every Christian student who has done that is able to hold on to their faith well at college and yeah. even flourish. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a good word. And I think the same would even hold true in high school for so many of them, just, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people, finding the right organizations and yeah. Okay. And so point us to, and we're going to talk, we're going to wrap up by pointing people back to your book as well, but point us to a place as parents, if we want to make sure that we're teaching our kids well, and we don't send them off, not knowing the truths of scripture and the Bible and knowing kind of, you know, what, what would you refer people to? Would you go to the, the latest version of the new evidence demands a verdict? Is there something that you like that, or that you've written that's maybe really specific today's culture? What do you point us to as parents? Let me give you a few resources. So the book, the book, Chasing Love, uh, is 30 chapters and it's basically 14 to 18 year olds. Now I took it through my daughter when she was 12 and she did fine, but that's really the target. And I give parents the month challenge. That's like, read a page a, a day. It's like three to four pages with your kid in a month, you're gone. And at the end, you know, give some reward to your kids. Some kids respond to that. Some don't, but that's why I made it 30 chapters. I've had a ton of parents tell me, Hey, we're actually doing this and it's working. So that's a practical thing awesome. you can do with your kids. The updated evidence that demands a verdict is a fantastic resource. Now it's huge. It's like 700 pages. It's very readable, but there's a ton about Jesus rising from the dead, a ton about Jesus claiming to be God, a ton about the Bible being true. That's a wonderful resource. Third thing I would say is if you can send your kids between 16 and 25 years old to summit ministries, it's a 12-day worldview conference. Now, I don't work officially for Summit, but I will speak for them. And they bring in some of the best, most articulate speakers to talk to kids about all the issues we've talked about this podcast and some. But it's very relational, 12 days long. And for so many young people, it's game-changing for their faith. Ideally, before their senior year in high school or their freshman year in college, to give them that confidence that it's true. And the last thing I'd say is I am all over social media, Cynthia. I have a YouTube channel, Instagram, Twitter. I even have a TikTok account and all of this <laughs> stuff. All this stuff is free. And I do some fun things now and then, but really it's a resource to equip and train parents and young people to know what they believe and why they believe it. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, well, we are going to link all this in podcast notes and follow you on social. And yeah, the book's amazing. I have the book sitting here, by the way, uh, Chasing Love, and it's so good and so helpful and an easy read for your kids and for us as adults, especially those who are uncomfortable talking about sexuality with our kids, which always I fall into that category. So it's a great read and so informative. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Cynthia, you are such a pro. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're amazing. And uh, come back and visit again, will you? I know there'll be plenty more questions like this. You got it. Thank you to Sean McDowell for being with us today. He's such a wealth of knowledge. I have linked everything that he talked about in podcast notes. I know that we barely 
touched the tip of the iceberg when it comes to faith issues with our kids and raising kids in a sexualized culture, but he has great resources. So check him out in the podcast notes. And that leads me to today's messy minute. And I just want us to remember how important it is to have intentional faith conversations with our kids. As we start a new school year, it's a great time to incorporate that into our new routine. I know that often we don't have these harder conversations because we're concerned that maybe we don't have the answers or we're going to plant something in their head that they hadn't thought about, which is not true, or maybe it's just uncomfortable. But I want to put in your mind a statistic that really impacted me. When I interviewed Dr. Kara Powell a year ago, you can go back to last August 2020 and listen to that interview. She was talking about a book she had written, she had co-authored, and it was called Sticky Faith. And it's how do we have kids that have a sticky faith that stays with them all of their days. And one of the things she said is important is that we have these sticky conversations, conversations about faith hard conversations about faith, hard conversations about culture and where it's not lining up with scripture and why that is. And she did um, some research that I think is really important that we need to understand. And they talked to over 11,000 teenagers that were Christians, all kinds of congregations, all denominations, and only 12% of the youth they talked to said they have regular faith and life conversations with their parents. 12%. And if you break it down a little further, it's one in eight that said they talked to their mom about faith and one in 20 talked to their dad about faith. And I just want us to be encouraged that that is really important that we have these conversations. We need to be better than that statistic, especially when we want to have kids with a sticky faith. And so there are great resources out there. Sean McDowell's one of them that is producing them. Josh McDowell has. But Be willing to sit down and ask your kids what they're facing, what's hard, what are they seeing each day that doesn't seem to line up with scripture? Where do they struggle with their faith? Have these intentional conversations in the car when you're sitting at dinner and you may not know the answer. Tell them that and then go do some research and come back with what you've found. But I think being willing to have these conversations is critical for our kids. It's critical for their faith and development and it's something that we can do as parents. So let me encourage you to do that as I will be doing that more and more with my kids this year. So glad you were with us. We know your days are busy. So as always, thank you for joining us as we pardon the mess. Thank you.